five after 11 o'clock. Welcome to the third and final hour of the show. So as we do every Wednesday in this hour, we focus on um, various issues affecting our physical health. Uh, today we're talking about leukemia. Let me invite then onto the show Lauren Pretorius, who is Chief Executive Officer of uh, Campaign for Cancer. Lauren, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? I'm well, thank you. And also joining us, Dr. Karen Gunther, who is a hematologist. Dr. Gunther, good morning to you as well. Morning and welcome. Thank you for having me. Lauren, perhaps let me, let me kick it off with you, you know, and just give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit more about leukemia and its prevalence in a country like South Africa. Thank you. So um, I think uh, to tell we have an expert here when it comes to the disease and and its symptoms. But I think at Campaigning for Cancer, we're wanting to bring attention to leukemia. Number one, because in September we um, celebrate World Leukemia Month and groups from all over the world have been bringing a highlight to the leukemia, particularly in South Africa. The reason why we're looking at is often, you know, cancer and leukemia makes, gives you the feeling that, you know, it's, it's, it strikes fear in us. And one of the things that we wanting to say is that there's been immense um, improvement in treatments over the last um, decade, which has made sure that there is treatment for leukemia. So we're wanting people to understand what the signs and symptoms are, and then go and get treatment as quick as possible, because with treatment, we are looking at good outcomes for patients. So it's vital that patients are, are um, diagnosed early so that they can get on treatment. Lauren, you speak about this fear that people have when it comes to even just the word leukemia. Where do you think that comes from? So I think um, it's a little bit, uh, it's from two two sources. Number one is up until a, few, a decade ago, there was very little or um, um, advanced treatment for leukemia. So people, Patients got who had leukemia were very, very sick, and they looked very, very sick. And then if you look at, um, the, you know, Hollywood and movies, whenever there's a patient that's, you know, um, dying or um, very, very ill, and that it, they often have leukemia, it's put forward. So I think leukemia has a bad rap. That doesn't make, make it sound like that, you know, the disease has changed. The disease is a serious disease, but the treatment and how we treat those patients has changed. So we're able to let people know that if they look for the signs and symptoms of leukemia, we, you know, they can then um, speak to their doctors and, and hopefully we're, we're ensuring that people get diagnosed early. Dr. Gunther, let me come to you and perhaps you can answer this question on the issue of the prevalence of leukemia in South Africa and just what exactly this disease is. Okay, so prevalence, we're very far behind in really proper prevalence figures. The the rough number everywhere in the world is sort of one in 100,000 people gets leukemia. Um, There's different, in fact, leukemia, one needs to say up front is, hundred different diseases from chihuahuas to rottweilers. Some of them are mild manageable conditions and some are really aggressive. Um, and sorry, the other part of your question you were just saying? Um, just what the disease is in, in yeah. layman's so, terms. So that's really worth understanding. So leukemia is a cancer of the bone marrow. So your bone marrow is your factory that makes your blood cells. 
And it's supposed to make red cells that kind of carry oxygen around your body and give you energy, white cells to fight infection, and platelets that make your blood clot. So when you get leukemia, what happens is the bone marrow gets taken over by very primitive cells that never mature into normal blood cells. So what you feel, what you find is, well, you can't make red cells, so your oxygen level capacity, carrying capacity drops, so you get tired and fatigued. You can't make the white cells, so you start to get sick, you get infections and quite serious infections. And you can't make the little things called platelets that make your blood clot, so you start to get bruising and bleeding. So essentially it's bone marrow failure, where the bone marrow gets taken over by these primitive cancer cells, and you just can't make normal blood cells and all the symptoms that you present with are related to that being mm. the problem. Is it is it a difficult disease to treat? So as I said, it's actually a hundred different diseases. So that's a huge question. Mm. But most forms of leukemia are very treatable nowadays. The movies, which Lauren mentioned, vomiting, losing your head and then you die. It's not like that anymore. We need a specific diagnosis, which kinds of cancers. A lot of them, we don't even use chemotherapy anymore. We use incredible new um, immunological treatments. I've been doing this for 20 years, and it's just, to me, amazing that you can take someone who we used to put in hospital with high-dose chemotherapy for a week and treat them as an outpatient, and you get to the same point in the same time. It is a serious disease, and there's no half measures. If you've got a leukemia, you need to be treated and go into complete remission. It needs to disappear. So you have to treat it intensively, and it needs to be treated properly. The worst thing to do is a little bit of this and that, but the treatments are out there. They really are incredible. Let's talk about who's uh, at risk for developing leukemia and if it affects certain uh, pockets of the population more than others. So, so in fact, there are certain well-known risk factors. If you've been exposed to radiation, if you've had previous major illnesses and been exposed to chemotherapy type drugs, but in honesty, and the scary part is that for most people, it's just bad luck. You stand in the wrong queue. So most of our leukemia patients that we diagnose now, there's no history. There's no reason it just happens. That's not very reassuring, I know, but that's true. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I, I suppose as people want to feel some level of uh, being in control or having some kind of influence over, you know, the state of our health. Yeah, exactly. And and I think actually that's the hardest thing for patients, particularly the adults, if they get leukemia, you know, someone who's used to being in charge of business and doing things, that they find it really hard to realize they're not in control anymore. It, it is a really one of the things you have to work through but just think to say what i always say to my patients is they never believe it in the beginning but, but from all these years of doing this good things come out of it you suddenly realize what's important in life you you get your priorities right you you get close to those you love and need and there is a process it's not necessarily the end it's a process that you have to get through yes go for it Thanks. So it's also important to realize that, um, and probably why leukemia also gets a bad rap, is that 25% of children that are diagnosed in South Africa at the moment are diagnosed with like leukemia. So it's it, there is a very high prevalence of it in South Africa. Does it mean that it's specifically a children's cancer? Absolutely not. They get a particular kind of cancer. But just as what we're seeing in South Africa is that a quarter of children diagnosed with cancer are being di 
diagnosed with some sort of leukemia. But in the what we're also seeing though is if those children are and and uh, Dr. Gunther can back me up on this, if those children are treated early, we're seeing almost up to eighty percent five-year survival. So which means that the treatments that are out there are effective for them. Um, it's about getting them into treatments and, and making sure that we spot those signs and symptoms, which unfortunately are, it's not like breast cancer where you can feel a lump in this. There are signs and symptoms that could look like something else. So it's important to be aware of those, particularly in, our, in the children who can't explain when they're not feeling well or if something's different. And and that brings us to a very important aspect of this conversation, Lauren, which is really, um, you know, the symptoms that one needs to look out for, especially when we're dealing with a cancer like leukemia. Uh, Dr. Karen? So it's those things I was saying. So fatigue, tiredness. With children, just loss of energy, um, not not being involved and active anymore. So that would be one of the first things that happens recurrent infections because they can't make these white cells to fight infection so you know they get one infection after the other and instead of being a mild sort of respiratory tract infection and they bounce back they just get sick really sick with it and then finally they get bruises bleeding little red spots that's always a sign that you have to go the, the rash which happens when your platelet count is low looks like like little measles little red spots on the legs and arms so those are things you'd need to go and see a doctor and they'd have to check the blood counts how how long can one live with leukemia before um, they begin to, fall, to, to feel almost the full impact of its presence in their bodies? So that goes back to the fact that there's so many different kinds of leukemia. So acute leukemia, which is the aggressive one in medical terms, that means it starts and goes suddenly six weeks to, and you'd, you'd definitely be symptomatic. It's a very aggressive process. It happens very quickly. If it's one of what we call chronic leukemias, chronic means long, slow process, um, usually more common in adults, those can actually be there for years before you realize anything is wrong. I see that a lot of people, when they're talking about leukemia, and I suppose it's it's not an unusual conversation with a disease like cancer, is people automatically think about um, the prognosis in terms of how long they will live after they have been diagnosed with a disease like that. Lauren? Absolutely. I think at, uh, when you're diagnosed with cancer, time becomes your the one question you're asking. Mm. Um, and so I can tell you now that if you're diagnosed earlier rather than later, you have a, you have a greater chance of having more time and even going into remission. I can also tell you that if you get to treatment quickly, you will also, and that the treatment that we have nowadays has vastly improved that that, that time frame where we're seeing some, some um, types of leukemia being, um, as Dr. Gunther mentioned, in, in remission, meaning there's, they can't find any um, there's no sign of any leukemia cells at that point. So at the end of the day, every patient is different and every patient's journey is different. And it's, it's, it's irresponsible to say you have X amount of days. And, and I don't think that's not how doctors work nowadays. Um, they will say that this is the, the severity of your disease. 
and that they need that the treatment will be able if we use this treatment we're looking at this and it's more like creating a a program like an exercise program when you sit with someone and they work out your exercise program the doctor will create that and that program will have an outcome that the doctor's looking either to stop the leukemia or to um, make it so that you're in remission um, so that that's what a doctor needs to discuss with you while we're all asking the, the question of time, it's more about what are we going to do? What is our game plan? And it's important to have a game plan when you've been diagnosed with cancer. Mm. If I can go back to the analogy that that both you and Karen have, have touched on, uh, in particular how we have learned about leukemia through the media, through some Hollywood blockbusters, it's that the journey for being treated for a cancer like this is not always an easy journey. Speak to us a bit more, Karen, about just the processes, uh, I suppose, just from the point of, of diagnosis uh, to then being able to identify what kind of leukemia one is dealing with and the treatment options. And I think most importantly, what that journey means uh, for patients. Okay, that's a good question. So, so firstly, they would obviously something's wrong. They're not well, they're tired, they're bleeding, there's something that go to their doctors. And unfortunately, often they get given antibiotics the first time. If I can say one thing, it's to keep going back. If you're not getting better, keep going back to your doctor. The real thing that usually starts us on the road of diagnosis is a full blood count. So, you know, if the patient, you know, when you first see your GP, they quite rightly don't necessarily do blood tests. But if you go back and things aren't right, they'll do a, a blood count. And usually that will give us an inkling that there's something wrong. To confirm that you have leukemia, you need a bone marrow that sounds absolutely terrible, but it isn't. We take it from the back of the pelvis. Um, and with children, we put them to sleep. And with adults, I certainly think there's no reason why you need to be awake for it. It's not a terrible procedure. It takes about 10 minutes. The bone marrow is basically saying, let's look in the factory. If the blood isn't coming out right, what's going wrong? So you look at the bone marrow. And then you can see these primitive cells in the bone marrow. And that's when you would make the diagnosis. But leukemia is only the first step of the diagnosis. What so, is so, most so current? So sorry to to to, to interject uh, there. Um, what what do you use to? Uh, is this just a scan or is it a, a partly invasive prop, uh, it's, process? It's invasive. So okay. They actually, they actually have a large and needle with a little hole hole in it. So they push that into the marrow and suck out a little bit of bone marrow. That's called an aspirate. And then they also take a little core of bone. But there are no nerve endings in your bone. It's only in the skin and around the bone. So we use local anesthetic. But in children, we put them to sleep. So it sounds horribly invasive, but it really is a very superficial procedure to get a little core of bone and some bone marrow cells out. That's, that's what we're doing to do that. The test itself is really not a problem. It's, it's a very manageable thing to do, as long as it's done properly and, and more and more we do it with not an anesthetic. Children, we, we put asleep. We, we do use an anesthetic, but adults will give them something that will just make them sleep in the hospital bed, and then we can do the bone marrow there. So it's not a not a terrible procedure, and it's definitely the thing that will start us on the diagnostic route. But then the diagnosis of leukemia is just the start. You need to know what sort of leukemia. You need to know what 
genes or mutations were involved to cause the leukemia, because all of those factors will determine exactly what treatment is to follow. And um, I'm, I'm going to assume here that it could also be hereditary? There are some hereditary leukemias. Mm. They're quite rare. Um, and if there is a family history, there's a slightly increased risk. Um, the figures will vary with each condition, but just to give you an idea, if the risk is one in 100,000 and you've got a family member, you're risk might go up to two or three in 100,000. It still isn't a massive risk. There's just a tendency. There are some exceptions. There are some hereditary things. Some children are born with abnormalities in their genes or things that will predispose them to getting leukemia. So there are, there are connections to leukemia, but by far the majority of people not. Does the varying strains of leukemia make it um, a, a bit more complex in as far as getting treatment for it yeah that's that's the huge difference so the commonest childhood leukemia is called acute lymphoblastic leukemia that's the one with a very very good outcome that lauren was alluding to Um, and if that's what you're dealing with we know we have a treatment it's quite the initial treatment is intense and thereafter there's just some maintenance for quite a prolonged period if you have a different kind of leukemia it would be t- treated totally differently. So like an acute myeloid leukemia is a different disease. In fact, we use different kinds of treatments. We look for different outcomes. And in adults, we, we use bone marrow transplants as required. If it's a bad leukemia, if it's a good one, we manage without. Look, I think that the treatment for any cancer is, is never really an easy one. As a doctor, what are the conversations that you have with your patients to really prepare them for the journey that lies ahead? (laughs) Such a good question. So the first thing is hope. I think the most important thing you've got to give people hope, and there is for virtually every condition, potentially good outcomes. So they've got got to know that this is not a death sentence. We've finished now. And then the next thing is you've got to find out what they're feeling, what they want. So if you have a condition that you can treat intensively and probably not so pleasantly for a short time, but you are going to be cured and get better and carry on for many. It's worth taking that risk. If you have a condition which we're not really going to be able to cure, then obviously you have to moderate the treatment so that the treatment doesn't become worse than the disease. So there's there's a balance there. And I always try and discuss that and find out from the patients what do they want. You'll you'll have patients who'll say to you, I want to live or die crying they're going to go for anything and you get others who say you know what I don't want to live for the next 10 years or 20 years this would obviously be older patients but I just want to have quality of life so you've got to find out what the patient's aims are and then I always try and encourage them to say you know there's probably quite a lot we can do in each of those fields we give them a very realistic um, impression of what's to come and you know when we start to talk about intensive things like marrow transplants bone marrow transplants they have to know that that is not a small procedure it's a rocky road but it's a very big reward if you get it right so the patients need to know and then the most important thing I would say to any parent and anyone who's involved is just you have to tell your doctor everything there is no place for heroes often the biggest thing that goes wrong treating patients is they think oh I've got cancer I'm on chemotherapy I'm going to feel terrible 
most of the feeling terrible nowadays is very avoidable. We have fantastic ways of treating nausea. We have ways of treating infections. There's a lot of stuff we can do, but the patients must tell us how they're feeling so that we can intervene and not just wait and see them next time we see them when things are going wrong. Uh, Lauren, I imagine for an organization like like yours, Campaign for Cancer, there's a lot of work that you're also dealing with from the psychosocial impact of patients that are living with cancer. But uh, and in this case, then we'll, we'll speak specifically about leukemia. Yes, I think, you know, um, when you're faced with a disease like leukemia, um, as Dr. Gunther says, everything comes into focus. And a lot of the time, what in that process of just making the, the decision of who your doctor is going to be, understanding your disease, and also um, you know, going through the treatment and managing the side effects, that's a whole journey on its own. And we at Campaigning for Cancer try to help patients through that by ensuring that the admin and the administrative, and if, if they need something paid from the medical scheme and the medical scheme is not willing to pay, we help the patients from that point of view, as well as giving them information and guiding them to credible sources of information on their disease, which is very, very important. And then once they're into their treatment and they've moved on a little bit in the treatment and that comes the the emotional um, fallout, I would say, and that is then providing patients and their families and caregivers with the tools as well as the support networks that can help. And there are various support networks on that, including, you know, professionals like psychologists and counselors and and, um, social workers, but then also linking up patients with other patients and letting them talk to each other and letting carers of those patients talk to to talk to other carers. Um, the one thing that you you definitely have when you are diagnosed with cancer is you become part of a community. And, you know, it's a community that is very, very um, uh, supportive and, can, and is always looking to help that patient to go through and manage their, their treatment and their journey. So many different aspects that, uh, you know, patients and families have to deal with when they, you know, when they're living with leukemia or at least have a loved one that is affected by this disease. Of course, leukemia is the focus for our health feature today. We're in conversation with Lauren Pretorius. She's the chief executive officer at Campaign for Cancer and Dr. Karen Gunther, uh, who is a hematologist. Of course, as always, we'll be taking your calls the number to dial 086 2032 that's the number to use to get in touch with us this morning 086 2032 we'll also take your voice notes and questions uh, on the whatsapp line 0614-104-107 that's 0614-104-107 Karina I want to come back to you and ask from a doctor's perspective, you know, what are some of the frequently asked questions that you will get from either families of, of, of minors uh, or even from adult patients once the, the, their diagnosis has come through? So actually, the first time 
when you see them often nobody asks anything I think it's just all such a huge shock mm. next question undoubtedly is how long or can this be cured and how long that's those are the two big things and the how long is as Lauren mentioned there the most difficult question to answer because it is completely variable depends on a lot of things and and the can that be cured you know we, we answer that as as much as we can what isn't asked and probably what's really important patients often ask what can i do what what can i do they'll make a difference and and we always actually warn them you know when you do i don't know if lauren will agree with me here but when you do get diagnosed with cancer you get inundated with everybody telling you about this and that supplement and everything you should take and mm. i would say to them it's health it's just basic common sense don't go off on a tangent on eating strange diets or spend a lot of your money on on these other things in the end there is correct treatment there are also people who who want to know about alternative treatments and certainly they can have a place in making the journey easier all right not they can change things current i'm going to ask you to pause it there it's 11 30 dinero has the latest headlines SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide, leading the conversation. All right, we continue our focus on leukemia for our healthcare feature today. Karen, I love the fact that you you spoke about the issue of um, alternative medicine and some of the requests that you'll get from patients. Is that a difficult conversation to navigate, especially as a doctor who's obviously practicing uh, the more traditional and Western mainstream medicine? Actually, no, not at all, because I'm, I'm really sure of the answers. So I think <laughs> that's, that, that might be biased. But, so there are definitely things that do no harm and that can help the patient. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention things, but um, medicinal marijuana, if it, it makes people less anxious, it can help them sleep, it can help with nausea, it doesn't change the leukemia. I have no problem with them using it. And then supplements, as long as they don't interfere with the chemotherapy drugs, and that's an important thing. There must be no interactions. So I'm happy to screen whatever the patients use and actually to allow as much as possible and even alternative things that that they've tried. But after 20 years, you do get a pretty good view of what works and what doesn't. And, And that's why I'm really comfortable to say to someone, you know, you can go that route, but I know it's not going to work. So, um, and and we never, I never, if a patient wants to go on an alternate route, say no. I, say, I keep in touch. I keep the contact. But what I do say to them is if they're going to be throwing away their chances by going an alternative route, then I, then I do try and push quite hard to persuade them. But I think it's very clear. There are some things that are helpful, some things that make the journey easier. There are very few alternative routes that really change leukemia. If you've got leukemia, you have to treat leukemia. Mm. Lauren, let's talk about access to treatment because, again, what we are talking about here is um, treatment options that can be very, very expensive. Yes. So we, as we've seen an increase and in an and a, a development of innovation in medicines, we've seen that there are that things have become more expensive with medicines, and we and as a result 
sometimes patients don't have access to those medicines. And in South Africa, because we have two healthcare systems where patients are treated in the public healthcare system and the private healthcare system, those can be very different. So their access issues can be very, very different. Um, in the public sector, you will see that the patients are getting um, basic treatment that was looked, that is, is, is common amongst all um, cancers and all hematological diseases. Um, and every now and then they'll have access to one of the, the more innovative treatments. In the private sector, it, we're looking at whatever medical aid you are covered by or what you're willing to pay out of your own pocket. And this can often, because of this, there is far more scope of a patient having what we call financial toxicity. In other words, having to sell their house to get their treatment. And this is something that should never happen. And at Campaigning for Cancer, we are working with all stakeholders to try and find solutions to this in um, understanding that, you know, making sure that if a, a medical scheme has said no, that they, that they won't fund the treatment, that that is in fact legal and that, that patients' rights have not been um, um, infringed in any way. But also talking to government and to pharmaceutical companies and to the medical schemes about how we can make and what kinds of um, processes we can set up and programs we can set up to make sure that these um these these innovative medicines are getting to the patients and things like what is called alternate reimbursement models or looking at patient assist programs are something that we delve into quite and advocate for when it comes to this treatment of innovative medicines. I mean, one just has to think about the difficulty of um, a family and a patient that's, you know, having to sell their house just to be able to keep up with 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 the money for, for treatments. Is, is there a way of, of, of even curbing these costs, Lauren? So I think um, insofar as a person that is buying medical scheme, it is, it's important to look and understand what you're buying. So with any insurance, you need to understand that if this was the situation, that, and I know that a lot of medical schemes, they have um, information of you buying 400,000 Rand cover for cancer and unlimited for when you're in hospital. And this sounds all really, really good. What the problem is, is that the cost of these drugs, um, 400,000 is minimal. And um, most cancers are not treated in hospital. They're treated out of hospital. So you don't use your, your, your hospital plan. So these are things that you need to look. There are some medical schemes that won't do um, bone marrow transplants, although um, those are in the minimum as they are seen as a basic treatment for some of the leukemias. So the first thing is understanding what insurance you've bought and understanding that if you find yourself in this, what will you get? Because some it's too late um, to have to change that once you're diagnosed. So it's the preemptive that you've got to look at. Secondly, I think from a state patient point of view is making sure that um, the doctors that you're speaking to have looked at other treatments and if there is a possibility to request for you some sort of treatment that may be um, a, a, a clinical trial 
or a um, real-world evidence trial that they can maybe look at including you in, in something like that. So these are the various ideas. So we're working at a policy level as Campaigning for Cancer to make sure that we can um, create policies and, and rules and, and, and situations where the, these medicines are far more accessible to both public and private. But as a patient, you have a responsibility to understand that one day you might be diagnosed with this and you need to understand that you might have to fight for these medicines. Mm -hmm. And we we are there to help you fight for these medicines um, and to make sure you get what is due. But at the same time, there are medicines that are just so expensive that in South Africa, we will we'll probably never get them. Karen, we spoke about, um, you know, bone marrow transplants and the role that that plays when it comes to treating a disease like leukemia. Um, in order to have these transplants, I imagine it's important that you have uh, people that are donating bone marrow. Absolutely. Can I just make one comment on sure. the cost? Because I think it's just so important. It is heartbreaking to see a patient who has a condition which we can treat and a medical aid which has a problem. And Lauren and them have done a fantastic job trying to help us with access. But the one thing I would just say to people getting a medical aid, look for what they call specialized drug benefits. Because those are the fancy new drugs that make a world of difference and it's really sort of heinous that many medical aids just kind of have a tiny little specialized fragment. And when you're buying a medical aid, you don't even think about that. So that would be a, a thing to look at if you're considering medical aid. So with regards to bone marrow transplants, absolutely. A donor is the be all and end all. And our South African registry, the South African bone marrow registry, they've, they've done an absolutely sterling work in trying to build this, but we still have a very small registry. People don't tend to commit until someone they know is sick and then they, they understand the idea. But that is the saving grace. And in fact, if you're going to do a bone marrow transplant, it's the quality of the donor that actually determines the outcome. So young people are brilliant donors. People who haven't had children, sometimes having children is not the best because you get antibodies. But so if I could just encourage young people to, to consider it. In Germany, I know that it is like a default. You, you kind of have to think of a reason why you don't do, become a bone marrow donor. So their registry is fantastic. And when we're searching for international or, for, or unrelated donors, because we would first go for a related donor, but many people don't have the right brothers and sisters who, who essentially are the best donors. So we search for unrelated donors and you'd be surprised how many we can find. You know, we, none of us are quite as unique as we think. But sadly, a lot of it comes from overseas, which bumps up the cost enormously. And if we could grow our donor registry here in South Africa, it would make a massive difference to many people. Uh, I, I think, of course, one of the challenges is just the mental image that comes to mind um, when one thinks about what being a potential donor looks like, right? You just think, oh, are they going to cut me open, <laughs> chop up my bones, you know? <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what it actually is. Okay, so that's such a good point. Um, we don't use bone marrow at all, actually. We use stem cells, peripheral blood stem cells. So we all have like seeds that will grow into bone marrow that circulate in our blood. And when you become a bone marrow donor, what we do is we give you a little bit of a growth factor to make your bone marrow grow. 
and it releases these stem cells into the blood. And then we actually harvest them by putting your blood through a machine. So we put a drip in that has an in and an out. So the blood comes out of you through the machine and back into you. And the machine itself can sort out those cells we want and collect them. And just to put it in perspective, it's the same machine that we use for people who are platelet donors. And they once every three weeks will go and donate platelets and they just have a drip in past their blood through the machine, they collect the platelets. It's not a terrible procedure or no one would be a platelet donor. So um, it's a very variable, very, very manageable process for the donor. It's not a hectic thing to do at all. All right. Um, Like donating blood. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for that. Let me quickly take Mark in Johannesburg. Mark, please, if can be as brief as possible for me. Yes, I will do so. Um, thanks a lot. I just wanted to ask the ladies on, as on your show, maybe they can answer it. I 100% believe that there should be a hospital plan and everybody in the country has to pay for at least just a bare hospital plan. My, 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 real, my real frustration comes in with medical aid, and I'm going to use the one that I'm joined with. I'm joined with Discovery. And these guys work on my nuts because... Even though I'm on a medical aid and I'm paying a fortune to be on it, there's always an exclusion why they don't want to pay for certain things and why they do want to pay for certain things. And you kind of mentioned it. There's out of hospital. Out of hospital still falls in my my pocket. Even if I use my savings on my medical, it still falls in my pocket. Why are these guys like this? And if there's a chance, I would sign that um, these medical aids must get out of the country. Um, just based on the service that I've received, and I hope you can clarify one or two things based on that. All right, Mark, thanks for, thanks for calling in. Look, there's so many South Africans that have that, that same experience, right, uh, when it comes to their medical aids. Lauren, I don't know if you want to take it quickly. I need to <laughs> wrap up this conversation. Okay. So one of the things that we need to look at with medical aids is that medical aids fall into what is managed healthcare. And managed healthcare is a trade-off between how much money you have and the needs of the people that gave you that money. In other words, the members. So the responsibility of the medical scheme is to make sure that they don't use all the money on on some of the members and then and then there's no money left over for other members. Um, and but at the same time, they also have a responsibility to look at the individual and look after the individual member. So that is something that we need to to push forward to them. And I can tell you that um, if your medical scheme has said no to something, there's a reason why and they need to give you the reason because that reason might not be right. It's a complex factors and complex laws, but you can always demand and dispute that reason. And for that reason, you have things like the Council for Medical Schemes and our um, Project Ask at Campaigning for Cancer, which allows us to do that and and be and is able to fight those decisions that are incorrect. So there are chances there for you to dispute it. And I would suggest just like you have a right to a second opinion, you can ask your medical scheme to go look at and look back at their decision again. All right. Lauren, let me thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Lauren Pretorius, uh, CEO of Campaign for Cancer. And we also heard from Dr. Karen Gunther, who is a hematologist. That's where we'll leave it uh, with our focus on leukemia for today uh, on the talking point we'll be back with you again tomorrow morning we continue with our book reading still on land matters by advocate tembega Ngugai Tobi. on the other side of this will be the update at noon